one of the most unique podcasts on the planet. Hey, bus driver. Hey, bus driver. Hey, bus driver. The show about everything related to student transportation. If you're a student transportation professional, you found your show. Hey, bus driver. Exploring the entire school transportation universe. Talking to interesting and inspiring people, exchanging ideas, promoting student transportation industry growth, and sharing a few funny stories along the way. Now, live from Phoenix, Arizona, this is Hey Bus Driver, and this is Jason Nelson. All right, it's been a long, long time since we've uh, had a podcast, so here we are in January, end of January 2023. And uh, we're going to get this fired back up. So welcome, everybody, back to another episode. And uh, we got a lot to talk about. So we're going to hopefully cover uh, a bit here today and then hopefully put a couple more together for everybody, uh, especially the listeners in Arizona. Got a lot of a lot of stuff to talk about. So I got uh, Cruz back with me and Chad. Welcome. Happy New Year. Happy late New Year, I guess, to both of you. And Chad, a happy belated birthday to you, sir. Yeah, how's thanks. How's everybody doing? I, I mean, I'm struggling because I forgot how this podcast thing works. It's yeah, been so long. I know. Yeah. When's the last one we did? Was like July, August? I, I, I don't know, dude. It was my. I'm 51 now. I can't remember that far back. Uh, I don't I know. know. Well, every time I've scheduled something for you, you're like, I don't know. I got to check with the well, family and see if I can. Don't put this on me. No. <laughs> no. 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 No, sir. To all of our listeners, it is not me that's delayed these podcasts. Yeah, well, I just want to make true. that perfectly clear. That's true. Life, life gets in the way, and I don't know, maybe a little bit of laziness. So, uh, you know, I feel bad, but uh, we're getting right after it. So, uh, welcome, like I said, to everybody. And, Cruz, thanks for being here. I know you've had a busy morning uh, coming out of a job fair. So, How's yep. It, how's that right going? on right on theme this morning. Right on theme. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about hiring um I guess maybe some different hiring practices. I think the very first episode we talked or second episode of the show we had talked about kind of hiring practices. So that was 2 years ago and I think uh Cruz and his team there uh, at his district have kind of cracked at least here in Arizona what I think is getting people in the door quickly and efficiently and filling his position. So Cruz is now the director out of East Valley district. And, um, I think he stepped in there with what? 30 some drivers short, something like that. Yeah. 30, I think the official number was 32 drivers short, 32 drivers short. And now as of what today you're fully staffed. So yes, basically yeah, in a, in a, in a, quarter or you know what is that nine weeks ten weeks something like that you guys have really drastically turned around your hiring uh opportunities not only with uh, salary increases which a lot of the districts here in the valley have been doing i think trying to keep up with um just inflation and um you know i guess minimum wage going up every every year it seems like in january i think the some law passed that keeps kicking up minimum wage in in arizona so you know, a lot of districts are trying to figure out how to how to keep up with that and keep up with the private industry and whatnot. So um, I guess kind of just got some questions, you know, like, Cruz, you stepped in there and, you know, what was your kind of your thought process or, or whatnot of how, how you were going to get this turned around? 
Yeah, so the, I mean, the first thing we evaluated is when we came in, we have a 67 dress bus driver positions. And so when I came in, we had 35 working. So the 32 vacancies there. And so the first thing we looked at was how do we make sure, number one, we keep the 35 bus drivers that we have. Um, so the, the hiring process is great, but if you're losing one for everyone you hire, it, it doesn't matter how well you hire, you're never making up any ground. And so um, that was a simple conversation of the culture, right? Retention. Uh, and a lot of people I think have nailed that. I don't, I think people aren't losing drivers left and right. It's we're struggling to fill the gaps as drivers have retired, moved out of state. Um, you know, COVID, some drivers never return from the COVID absence with the demographics of many drivers. And so the second piece was how do we fill in the, the blanks? And so I'm lucky to work with a really good HR team that was supportive in helping this process. But, you know, we sat down and said, okay, we can't hire bus drivers. And we looked at our three year since COVID really, um, what are our hiring numbers? And quickly realized, I think we were at, we had hired 26 bus drivers since to start 2020, January, 2020. So the daunting thing was, if we need to fill 32 bus drivers and we've only hired 22 in the last 28 months or so, you know, 26 bus drivers in 22 months, how are we going to do that? Um, and so this is where we kind of broke down the process and trying to figure out, first of all, you know, how do you get people to apply? How do you take people who apply and turn them into bus drivers? And then the final piece, again, back to the retention, how do you take people that you have hired and are new to your program and, and keep them there. And we've had some success with it. Um, we'll find out long-term the retention piece is still to be, to be found right in the short term we've had, but really breaking it down component by component and figuring out, you know, what are the hurdles? What are the obstacles to this portion and what can we do to overcome those obstacles in each individual piece of the hiring process? So what did you guys find is like when you were, I guess, dissecting it, what did you find that were hurdles to people I guess, wanting to do this work? Well, the, the first, the most obvious one that everyone talks about is wage, right? So um, we had some wage increases. We looked at what are our surrounding districts and we had to be equal or better than our surrounding districts. Um, that's a no brainer. If, if you're paying $16 an hour for an entry bus driver and everybody who surrounds you, especially in the Valley with so many different options for a bus driver, if everybody around you pays 19, how can you expect to, to get anyone, right? So anyone that's interested in driving is probably going to go down the street. And for me in the East Valley, you know, I've got four districts within probably 10 minutes of drive time from our transportation office. So the commute portion of it is, is a small factor, but it's not going to keep people from going somewhere, right? If you're in an isolated, maybe up North, um, some of these isolated, there's less opportunity, which changes that. But so that was the first piece we evaluated. And, you know, with our governing board and our HR team, we basically upped our minimum and our wages for our existing drivers. So we had to be competitive with everybody around us. Um, I was a big believer in that wages. If all you focus on wages, you won't win, right? You're going to recruit people that are money oriented. And so when your neighboring district then ups you by a dollar, you're going to lose those people. And you, you continue that vicious cycle of hiring, training, losing, hiring, training, losing. And so I wanted to, we had to get the money right, but it was more complicated than that, in my opinion, on the retention piece. How, how does it affect the drivers? Like when you're short that many drivers, I would think that it makes it even more difficult for the other drivers to, to even retain them because they're, 
some of them obviously want the hours, but quite a few others, like just, they don't want all the extra work that goes along with being short of drivers. Am I thinking of that incorrectly or is that, I mean, cause in, in a normal job, like say you have a warehouse and you're 20 people short and you have a staff of 60 and you're 20 people short, 40 people are doing 60 people's jobs. Those people get stressed out. They get overworked. They get tired. They, they just, they don't want to do this anymore. So you have people starting to leave there. Now you're, your increase in staff shortage or your staff shortage increases sometimes substantially because the people are just being overworked. Is that a thing in the uh, bus driver industry? I, I know Jason comes from it. I think it is, it's a huge factor, right? I mean, you have some people that are, you know, the hours hounds and they're going to take anything they'll get, but you have a number of people that, especially in this industry, I think it's catered to your semi-retired, right? Individual who, they don't really, they may not need the income or they may just need partial income. They do this because they enjoy the impact on kids, but they're not looking to work 50 hours a week, making up, driving a different route and double routes. And I think even more of the problem, which I believed from the very beginning was every department has an office staff, right? So whether you have five routes or you have 500 routes, you've built an office staff and the office staff's job, in my opinion, is to support the drivers on the road, right? They take care of the back office things, the routing, the field trips, um, the compliance, the training. Well, what happens everywhere is when you're short drivers, your office staff, who is typically credentialed drivers, go fill the void. Well, to me, what happens is if you've got 10 office staff members and seven of them drive routes in the AM and PM, that really leaves you with two to three hours for them to do what their normal eight-hour role is. And ultimately, the people that pay the price, your office staff pays the price because we work long days, long hours, um, cause we have the same number of work we have to get done to make every day go. But ultimately I think who pays the price is your drivers, right? If your router's out driving a route, he's not in there helping route, they're helping drivers make changes to the routes, update things, um, keep up with things. If your field trip coordinator is driving, they're not staying on top of field trips. So then you end up every afternoon in scramble mode with your athletic trips because stuff falls through the cracks because you have somebody who's doing a job or they're not doing the job that you're paying them to do they're filling another hole. And so, and even on a dispatch, I, I joked my first day of school this year, I had every office staff I had, I had, I was the dispatcher for the day, um, solo in the office by myself. And I actually called in two of the secretaries from the district office, just to phone tree calls to me so I could help it. And I joked with my drivers kind of trying to put some humor in the, in the bad situation of like, you're poor. You guys have to deal with me being your dispatcher. Who's I'm not a, it's not what I do. Brand new and I have no idea what I'm doing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and I can't answer the questions. I can't support them the way that they need to be supported. And I think, well, what is, if the district next door doesn't have their office staff driving to a driver, to me, they think that that district has things together because it's as simple as the people who are supposed to be doing office jobs are doing them. And so I think that's a huge part, Chad, is if if you're not put together, it it compounds your problem long-term. No, and I, I, yeah, I, I see quite a few. I just like you just said, I, I see quite a few districts that the transportation directors in there dispatching, and everyone else in the office and in the shop, they're, you know, they're they're out driving or they're, you know, I mean, they they just can't, and you can't function that way. If you do that every morning, every afternoon, you know, a department is going to struggle to function. Well, there which are a lot of districts goes back that to all the stress. Way. Yeah, <laughs> back to all the stress of. I can't do my job because I have three, four hours a day to actually do my job. Yeah. You know, and mm-hmm. 
So I, I can see where that affects more than just the bus drivers, but also the, the office staff, the maintenance, the maintenance crew. I mean, it's, it's gotta be exhausting, I'm sure. So to have a, a fairly full staff is going to be a, I'm curious to see how that works out for you. I'm sure I want to be much happier when I come in your office next time. <laughs> well, I definitely think bus drivers pick it up, are more willing to pick up the driving aspect of it, right? They're willing, for the most part, I, I would say there's a, there's a handful of people that either have other jobs or they have schedules that they have to keep, so they'll, they're a little more probably willing to tell you, no, I can't do this. But, I, you know, I remember when going out to ask some mechanics to drive or going and asking for, you know, dispatch or trainers or who like whoever. And I think cruise hits on a key piece. Those are, those are critical roles, right? Not that, not that nobody is, a, has a critical role, but when you talk about fully tenured, you know, 40 hour work week people, and they're expected to do something else besides driving a school bus. And now they're out AM and PM driving, or they're covering at midday because somebody didn't show up and then they can't scramble a driver fast enough. Those are those are the people that it wears on pretty quickly, and I think that, you know, gets pretty old real fast of, you know, John's out again, you know, for the 20th time this year, and I have to go cover his route. You know, that, that type of stuff is where it's really um, taxing, I think, on your on your full-time staff for sure. So, And I'm, I'm sure it creates some animosity, too. <clears throat> In certain situations, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, why is this this lady's out again, or this guy's yeah. called in sick again? And, you know, I've got this old change I got to do. I got a break job. I'm halfway through. I got to come off this and go drive a bus, or you know, whatever, whatever the situation is. But then you, I'm sure your districts run into the situation where, like, a mechanic, he's there to be a mechanic. He's yeah. not there to be a monitor. He's not there to be a, a bus driver. He's not there to, sure. to to do that. So he can potentially be looking for other jobs to leave where he can actually just be a mechanic, don't have to worry about driving school buses or being on a bus half the day monitoring, you know, kids or whatever. So I'm sure that that plays into it. There's just so many wrinkles and so many layers and pages to this that, you know, that the driver shortage affects everybody in that department. You well, know, I've, I've heard, yeah. I've heard of business managers come down and driving buses and superintendents and principals out driving buses to help fill in because they don't have staff. Yep. No, no, well, I, and I, it, I, go ahead, Chris. And it, it's interesting. It ties and that we use it, it ties right back into the hiring process as I had said, okay, if we're down 30, 32 drivers and I'm dispatching every day and I'm coordinating our trips to help our, our trip because I'm in the office for eight hours. So, or, you know, 12 hours, probably what it was, but I'm helping do field trips. I'm helping do routing. I'm helping do driver issues, right? Because I'm trying to take weight off these people who are having to drive a bus for me to keep them from being worn out. Well, one of the things I commuted to HR is I said, well, I'm a director and so I should be help overseeing the hiring process. But what's happening, I get an applicant this week. I don't even get a chance to interview them because I feel like my 12-hour day, I'm scrambling to make sure we can get kids to school tomorrow or get our football team to a game on Friday night. And I'm not doing the hiring process. So while hiring that person is the first step in getting us out of the hole, I'm not doing it for the same. We're talking about with the office staff. I'm not helping us get out of the hole. And so that was a huge step for us was when I met with HR and said, look, if I was fully staffed, I can manage my hiring. I, it's well within my job expectations. I can get it done. But where we're at right now, here's the time issue. I only have so many hours in a day. I can't interview people at 10 p.m. at night or 5 a.m. in the morning before routes go out. And so, you know, that was the second key piece, not to, to go off topic, but 
we said, okay, HR, can you help me with the bus driver process? Can you help me with interviews? Can you help me with reaching out to people? Can you bridge the gap so that we have the responsiveness of a fully staffed district from an appearance to an applicant? They don't feel like they're entering a districts that's struggling to make it on a day-to-day basis. They feel like, hey, this district wants me. They're on top of it. They get me processed quickly. And our HR took over that process completely for us as a, hey, this is a project. We're going to help you with this. We're going to help you get the staffing. And then we're going to start to work back to the way this model was originally intended. And I think it helps attract people because, again, your appearance as a district to an outside applicant is that, hey, you got your stuff together. This is a good process. It's well put together. The HR, I put my application in and I get a call from an HR person within two hours of an application being submitted or the, the morning after if it's an evening. And I'm on an interview even that day or that afternoon and I'm onboarded by the end of the day. Um, that's a To me, that's a big deal. If your application sits in a queue in a week and a half, well, if they really want to be a bus driver, guess what? They've applied at four different districts around you and you may have missed your window because someone else reacted the, that way. And you sat on it because you're busy. So you guys shifted everything to HR and HR knowing nothing about necessarily bus driver interviews as basically taking in the hiring process. Essentially. So what I did is I sat down with them. I put together a template for them of a just a basic interview question template, right? So for them to gather some information, I met with them and told them, hey, here's a here's a A plus answer. Here's a C answer. Here's an F answer, right? Um, I taught them how to look at a license and credentialing, right? When you're talking about partially credentialed drivers, what are they looking at? Um, you know, at one point, every one of us in the transportation world had no idea what they were looking at when they looked at a driver's license, a CDL driver's license. We all learned. Anyone can learn that. And so we taught them how to how to handle that process. And then we put together essentially, right? You meet with a person. Okay, here's the onboarding process. Here's what you're going to have to go through training. Here's what your, your IVP card, your permit, right? I laid out a document that was a guide for them to walk people through. So there was still that communication piece for a new hire of what is the next eight to 12 weeks or however long your training cycle is, what does that look like? So there was an expectation set for them and right. It's bumpy a little bit in the first part of it, but it's bumpy if you hire a new director for a couple of weeks on that process. Right. And with them taking over that process at that point, every applicant that we had or lead that we had was getting processed like I said, within 24 hours, unless it was a weekend, that lead was processed. In some cases, they would apply in the morning. Nine o'clock, an application comes in, and by three o'clock, they have a badge ready for the district, and they're showing up to the next morning at eight o'clock to report to transportation for their first day of training. So talk a little bit about the uh, the training piece. They don't go right in, because now you guys aren't requiring people to come with their permits. So did you create like a... I guess a permit curriculum or some sort of something like a, I guess a, a pre-training to the training, if you will. Yep. So we looked at, you know, historically some districts, everybody's a little different, but some people will hire someone green and let them go obtain the permit, right? Some districts say, okay, before your onboarding date, you need to have a permit in hand, a DOT physical in hand, right? A number of things to eliminate attrition that you have. We decided that we would rather put everybody in our district ready to work and, hey, we're going to have some attrition. We're going to have some natural fizzle, you know, that fizzle out. But the more people we impact, the more chance we have of a long-term retention. And so we hired without their permits. So we had people come in that said, I didn't even know you needed a permit 
a CDL permit when they were hired. Um, and so the second piece was how do you quickly get them their permit, right? Everybody's different motivated. Some people will, will get the permit book and in five, three days, they're there. They've got, they've obtained their permit. Some people, if you don't have some way to push or teach, they might spend three months and tell you, I'm, I've just been studying. I'm having a hard time. I'm just studying. Right. And so what we did is we worked with our director of secondary curriculum in the district. So who's developing learning materials, same thing. I met with them. I went over, here's what we need to learn. We went through the, the um, ADOT CDL manual, the sections. And essentially what over time is we developed a curriculum that said, if you were to spend two hours a week, which we did within every employee teaching a class, what are the key points that we think, hey, if we give them all this information and they do a little bit outside studying, they're going to have a chance to pass this test. And so over time, every Monday we had a two hour class. And if you didn't have your permit, you were paid to be at that class. And we sent them there. They, we had that director of curriculum teach that class. And by the next following Friday, they had to go take an attempt at their permit. And they would come back and say, hey, I passed two of the three or two of the four. Here's what I still need. And so I would send him a weekly update on Fridays and he would kind of tailor the next Monday's class for, hey, we're missing. we got seven people that are missing the air brake endorsement right now. So maybe this class on Monday needs to be air brake heavy because it's going to have the biggest impact. Um, and so we looked at over time, he met with them and it was really fun because you know, I always think with the test, there's common numbers that are good to know, right? We all know that there's certain questions that are going to come on every question. That's a number-based question. If you don't know the number, that you memorize that number that's associated with that facet, you're not going to pass that question, right? You're going to miss that question. And then we also looked at common questions they missed, right? So it was really interesting when you when we tested as many as we did, there was very distinct patterns when people would come back on Monday and say, hey, I missed this question. And then four of them would say, yeah. I missed the same question. And what we did is we started to build a list of hot topic questions that seem to pop up more often than not on that test that are commonly missed, right? So can we give someone seven questions that we think are going to show up that they've memorized that question verbatim to help them pass that test, right? It kind of be a master of the, of the test really. And it was in line with, it was interesting thought processes our director curriculum thought of it as like the SAT or the ACT, right? They do a lot with standardized testing, which is essentially what that is. And test taking patterns. We, we taught them how to read questions. I think some people miss questions on that CDL test because of the, there's double negatives and which of the following is not versus which of the following is. And if they don't read critically, they may know the information, but just by not having good test taking yeah. strategies. Or having test anxiety like I do. <laughs> yeah. Those, those double negative questions, those things irritate the hell out of me. It's like, you just ask me the question. Like, don't try to trick me into getting the answer wrong. I get it. Yeah. So we developed a, a curriculum class and it. I think it was effective. And the feedback we got from trainees was they loved it. It, it had a, a sense of accountability for them. Um, and it also, I think, made them feel like we were invested in the process of them becoming trained versus, Hey, when you have your permit, then we'll start training you. So were they like bus driver in training then like before a, or like an entry level training? So they're sort of getting paid during this, but then do they have incentive to obviously get permitted and then make their way to an actual bus driver in training once they get their permit? Like, is it kind of a step salary, I guess, if you will? Yeah, that's, we, we called it a bus driver trainee. So they come in, I think it was about $2 an hour less than whatever their wage entry wage was going to be for a bus driver. Um, and so as soon as they obtain their permit and 
put it on file with our training department, we would then send over a, the pay change to HR and they would be moved. So that was also the incentive. Hey, as soon as you get your permit, you're getting $2 more an hour. Go get this done. We're paying you during the process, but we also, here's your financial incentive as well to get that done. Got it. I mean, the process you guys put in place, I'm sitting here listening to this again on, I don't know how many other districts do this, but I mean, to get HR involved, right. And to give them the ABC, you know, DF answer, you know, this is the level of, this is where they, what they should answer. Here's how you grade this. I mean, to, to get them involved with that, the training aspect sounds great for, especially for someone coming in that's never been a part of this. There, I'm sure there's some anxiety, right? You help quell that anxiety and help them prepare in the way that's best for them. And they get, just continue to work on the things they need to work on. I mean, I'd be curious as I go out and visit with my other districts to see who all's doing something similar to this, because it sounds like a great process to get drivers on boarded. I mean, it's me, even me going in, I've had my CDL since I was like 20, 21 years old. So, you know, do the math 30 years. I can't remember how I passed it. I think it's because <laughs> my uncle gave me the test. He was the guy at the time that gave tests. So that helped, you know, yeah. like when I blew over the railroad tracks, like you think you should have stopped back there. I'm like, Oh God, I should have. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> No, I don't, I don't know many that are, that are doing it. You know, I think many, most common practices are just to what they were already doing when he inherited this, right? Which is usually, again, people put in their application. It's okay. We only interview, you know, maybe once a week or something like that. So we put together a, a day of interviewing and we're sitting on applicants for, you know, anywhere from a couple days to a week. And then, you know, and then after that, after you even, after you're making a recommendation to move somebody in, it depends on what your process is for, do you require them to have a permit before they start or their medical or any of those other things, even just, let's just throw those pieces out, right? Typically the HR process is anywhere from seven days to two weeks to get somebody in the door and started, you know, depending on if it needs board approval or not. I think some of the most common practices that, you know, essential employees like that don't have to wait on board approval uh, to start. But, you know, that's, that's really where I think this is the key piece is that somebody can come in just like you could probably do, I would imagine, with you know, a fast food place or a target or somewhere, you know, most of these private companies can interview and say, you're hired, I'm starting you tomorrow. And, you know, off to work they go. And I think in today's market job, job market, people who <clears throat> people can't afford to wait for, you know, to start making money, and they're going to go find something out there, whether it's a school district or a private company, or, you know, the 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 corporate industry to, start paying their bills they don't you know they don't that's necessarily a, have to lean on bus of, driving that's a very valid point of if a bus driver comes in or someone comes in wanting to be a bus driver and your district is well it'll be a week or two before we have an answer for you they can't afford that so they're going to jump on board with whoever's the first person to get them in the quickest because yeah. you know i'm sure there's a substantial amount of people just need a job right now i guys need to get to work yep. and so if you miss that opportunity to get them in there build them into the culture, you know, let them become, you know, comfortable and become part of the family or the team or whatever you call it. You're, you're going to miss out on a lot of people in that sense because they need a paycheck as soon as possible. They can't wait another week. They can't wait two more weeks. So that's, it's, it's a great, great situation you have set up. And I think, uh, 
in this world of lack of bus drivers, it'd be crucial for everyone to take that step if they're, if they're not already doing it, to work with HR and, make, and expedite that process to get people in the door quicker because you can't afford to wait. Well, and I think when you go back to it also, right, if you think about everybody who is typically handling human resource processes or the hiring process within your department and now they're out driving a bus, that means they're not answering the phone. Cruz is then answering dispatch or parent phone calls or whatnot. So typically those, you know, we would, we actually used a routing tree. If you're interested in employment, press this number and it went to a number and it would basically dump into a voicemail. So, you know, how often is that getting checked or, or whatnot? So now having HR and, and truly my opinion, you know, this might be an unpopular opinion, especially the HR people is that this is what they're there to do. They're, they're not there to just process paperwork. They're the, they're the hiring professionals. They're the ones that should be doing this for everybody right i mean you always ruffle feathers when you Jason, talk about seriously. like yeah and i i know i'm i'm un, i have many unpopular opinions but i think when you know when you talk about advertising uh job positions or marketing or things of that nature like that is their wheelhouse that's not that's not transportation's role transportation's role is to get kids to and from school where they need to go and so when you're when you're now expecting me to come up with marketing materials and to, you know, create hiring banners or, you know, decals to put on a bus or, you know, whatever to, to say that we're hiring, like that should be another department who of people who's that that is their role is to get me the staff so that I can do my job. Right. To all the to all the HR people out there listening, my name is Chad Brinkley. I strongly support you and think you're doing a wonderful job. And you keep up the good work. Yes. And I don't agree with all of Jason's views when it comes to human resources. Fair enough. An interesting concept, Jason, that you talk about the call tree, right? And so talking about marketing, we had said, okay, well, how do people find out about being a bus driver, right? Because not everybody wanders through the, in my opinion, fairly rigorous process of going through frontline which is what i believe all arizona districts or at least maricopa county districts are required to use for the hr software and to find a job um how do people find out about it right i know some people use job boards like indeed or careers.com things like that to post some people go out and do um you know signs on buses signs at school sites things like that and so we went down the route of hey let's put a sign on every bus a magnetic now hiring signed with a QR code um, to link them to the job posting. And then we also did the same thing, you know, big banners on all of our school sites, right? I wasn't sure how effective that would be because you drive around and it feels like every bus I see now in Phoenix has a now hiring sign on it somewhere on that bus. I know we had them at my former district as well. Um, But one of the things that was interesting is when I had met with HR and we were designing the banners or they had done most of it and they said, Hey, what do you think about the number on the banner? Right? So they're going to post this phone number big. And he said, what do you want transportation's number on there? I said, well, if I'm going to be totally honest with you, I would absolutely love if none of those phone calls come to transportation because those people call at two 30 in the afternoon. You're right in the middle of, let's say your elementary delivery and they call your dispatch line. If you don't have a call tree set up, they're not going to get a good first impression of your district because quite frankly, the dispatcher is probably dealing with something else and they don't have the time to give them a good first impression of what their district and what that opportunity is like. And so, or that matter, you know, it comes to me, right? I'm in a meeting, they go to a voicemail, 
you missed you you might have missed your moment of opportunity there where that person was genuinely interested and if you call them back and they don't answer because they don't recognize the number they may never pick that up for whatever reason they took the jump to make that call in that moment but you missed it and so we actually created a new line within our district and that was directed to one of our hr hr personnel that was trained fairly well on the she was part of the interview process of how can i answer play 20 questions right with the driver over the phone, give them the information they need so that they're going to come down here for an interview. And that line was directly to her. And so she answered those calls. And I think because of it, the phone got answered. She had the time to spend 15 minutes as if that's what it took to, to really capture the interest of that person. And all the, most of the time, by the time they hung up the phone, they were already booked for an interview to come down to the district office to meet with that person. And I think that was a huge factor for us is, everybody generates leads, but how many leads get lost again, because of that's what HR does. That's what they're good at. That's, they can navigate a conversation with someone. They can, as long as they understand the job, they can explain it just as well as I can. The difference is that's what they get paid to do eight hours a day. Every day is help the district remain staffed. And so that was a huge deal of changing that number. Very simple concept, but that didn't go through transportation and no one got lost in the transportation circle. If they really wanted to talk to me, she would just send over an email. Hey, here's Jason. Here's his phone number. He's interested in being a bus driver. I had a good conversation. With him. If you could give him a call by the end of the day, I think we can get him set up for an interview. Bang. Now I'm looking at my email and I say, okay, this is a priority to call this person. They just need a little extra nudge from the transportation specific side. Yeah. So going back to the, I guess the training piece, right? You give them three weeks to get their permit. I assume you've had people that make it. And then what happens to people that don't make it district just cuts their losses or, and then yep. can, so obviously I know that I'm teeing you up there, but can you also talk to you guys were contracting transportation or having like third party costs or, or pe people coming in, you don't have to give me a number on it, but how did you, how did you get the district to agree to, temporarily bring people in or, or I shouldn't say temporarily, but give them an opportunity to say three weeks and then we're just going to cut our losses with them. Right. Because I think districts are like, well, once we hire somebody, we don't want to fire somebody. So kind of walk me through that, I guess, justification of changing that process. Yeah. I mean, we were, we had a huge number for contract employment a year. Uh, they saved us, right. We would not be functional without our contract partners that we were using. But I also knew that in HR knew, you know, depending on how everybody's funded, the money game, the funding game in the districts is about to change very drastically come this year. You know, not to get into the politics and the specifics of financials of school districts, but the co let's just call it the COVID money for simplicity's sake is this is it. This is the end of the year districts have used through it. So a lot of districts that I know of have used that COVID money, what we'll call it to bail them out or provide temporary relief in a number of different ways over their districts. Everybody's having to adjust because that temporary funding is not gonna be there next year, right? And so we said, okay, if we use some of that money and we can fix this problem be before the end of the year, what is our net savings, right? And I, I when they asked me, I said, okay, what's the retention rate to taking a chance on someone, right? Because everyone you hire is not going to become a bus driver for us. And I said, I think if we can be at 50%, and it's just a math problem for us, right? We're going to hire 40 people at 50% means only 20 are retained. There's how much we spend in three weeks of wages for the 20 that don't make it. Here's what we spend in the 20. 
if those 20 people make it because we overhired for what we, we took a chance on a number of people, how much does those 20 for the last quarter of the school year save us on contracted costs? Um, and right. I came from the contracted side. I get the model. It's expensive because they have to pay their costs. They have to pay their employees and they still have to make money. They're not in it for charity. They're in it for financial gain. And so it was just Wayne. We knew there was going to be attrition. We knew we were going to have to cut ties and, and I'll like stay out of the specifics because that's an HR specifics of how that moving on from people in the process of doing that. But we were going to take a chance on more people than we thought would be a perfect fit because Hey, some people you think are going to be really good are going to surprise you and they're not going to work out the way you did, but there's going to be a few people that you say, Hey, there's no way this person will work out. And I've had a number of them that I look back on. Wow. I'm really, I'm really impressed. I mean, I've got a number, four of them right now. They were, they are moms. They have kids in the district. And I thought there was no way that the schedule would work for them. Right. They, they would be better being IA in the school working when their kids are in school versus driving on the tail ends. Three of them, they're all four are great. And three of them are probably three of my best five drivers right now. They're awesome. Right. And so that's a good example of if I was playing the picking game, I don't know if I would have went that route. They're phenomenal. They've been phenomenal for me. And again, I was wrong on it, but we allowed that process to work itself out over the course of, like you said, three to four weeks. So people that haven't, or maybe um, didn't make it through the three weeks for whatever reason, let's just say that they have test anxiety or, you know, couldn't get their permit or whatever. Did they, um, did they get an opportunity to, I guess, come back and, or can they hire back on with you and, and go back through it or get the permit on their own and say, Hey, I got my permit and you know, I'd like to have another opportunity. We left that process open. So it just depended on, you know, obviously district wide, it depends on how the employment ended, whether right termination and then it has to, most districts would have to go back through board approval to do it. It just depended on, I, it was a case by case for us. If it was someone we really liked and let's say it was a medical issue, right? A DOT medical issue that was going to be a long-term hang up and they were on good standing with us. It was just, we didn't want to spend six months waiting for a resolution for maybe a doctor's note for a special exception that needed to go on a CDL. Then yeah, it, you know, we left that door open to say, Hey, we really like what you've done. You know, we've enjoyed working with you. Go get this resolved. If you still want to be with us and we can open the, the door can reopen again long-term for there. So now you got lambasted with, you know, a whole bunch of people all at once. What did that do for your actual classroom behind the wheel training? As far as like, I only have a handful of behind the wheel driver trainers. So what does that look like as far as like, was that, a, was that an issue of having 10 people, you know, 10 people ready to go and trying to figure out how to train them? Yeah, that that was the most complex part of this whole thing. Um, we did all the hiring stuff there and then figured out how in the world are we going to train the volume that we train at, right? I had never been in the department that trained more than three, one, four, one five at a time. At a time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I you know, what's a big classroom session for most districts? Five people is a, yeah, a monster class. Mm-hmm. And so I think at one point I had 39 people in the classroom or behind the wheel training that had obtained their permits and they were in training. And so, and I've got one trainer, one dedicated office trainer. And so we obviously would start 
staggering our classroom sessions, trying to catch eight to 10 people in a classroom session. And then I had four or five of my bus drivers that over time had got their training credentials, right? You know, I know we all have a number of them, whether it's classroom or behind the wheel, you know, we would teach a classroom session with multiple teachers in there, right? So we could do breakout and do, you know, small groups and section to section and change things up to them. A big deal for us, I mean, we don't have a facility for a training room. And so we started sending them to our, our district office in a specific training room, trying to just really emulate the classroom environment, right? Totally remove them from all the distractions of everything else because we had to be efficient to train it. And then behind the wheel was the biggest challenge we had. So now you've got 36 people that are in some phase of their 20 hours or so or more, right? A lot of times it takes more than 20 hours to get someone ready to pass a CDL exam, in my opinion. Um, how do we do that? And so what we historically, we had always said, okay, we're going to take them out for three hours in the morning, take an hour to lunch break, and then three hours in the afternoon. I found pretty early on for us that six hours of training, they were probably only retaining two and a half hours of information, right? At some point they were just driving, they were gaining hours towards their credentials, but were they learning the information to prepare them to test? Um, and we were using, it was taking us 35, 40 hours of behind the wheel to have someone be prepared to go take the third, or, you know, a third party exam. And so I, I go back to coaching roots, right? You know, I can have a football practice for two and a half hours. I could also have it for five, but in my opinion, from two and a half to five hours, we're just out there at that point, right? Are we yeah. really getting anything done? Or are we just going through the motions because that's what someone said to do? So what we did is we broke our day down into each of my trainers were working nine hours roughly. And we broke it out into three hour sessions with like a half hour break, I think in between or two and a half hour sessions with a half hour break. And so every day we block schedule. I pulled my bus driver trainers. As soon as I started to get caught up a little bit, my first three people who were ready to go on route went on my trainers, my bus drivers who trained behind the wheel, took their routes over. And so that freed me up to having more people committed day to day on a training basis and so every Thursday I would go, I'd meet with that group and we would just go through my, I had a big spreadsheet I built to kind of track because keeping track of where everyone was at was challenging. You know, going through folders was not convenient and needed to be in one place. And so we would just break it down. So from 6 a.m. to 8.30, there was four slots open and those four people would, I'd fill them in and then they would come in. They were, it was posted on a bit of big calendar in our training room and they would come in and people could see where they were going to be at next week. And they'd train for two and a half hours. And then the trainers would come back, get a half hour to kind of right, fill out their training logs, take a breath of fresh air, use the restroom, things like that. And then the next set was ready to go at nine o'clock. And then they took an hour lunch and they were ready to go out at one o'clock. And so what that was doing at one point, I think we calculated, we were doing about a, between 180 and 200 hours of behind the wheel training in one week. So by having four different people, but nobody was getting fully all their hours in one week. We were taking three weeks to get everybody through, but we were finding we were getting closer to getting them all the information they needed in 20 actual hours of behind the wheel. So our total time invested in each person was reducing because they were picking up information at a faster pace because I, I don't think we were overloading them, right? To someone who's never seen a bus, the pre-trip inspection piece is it's very overwhelming, in my opinion, when you first say, okay, here's all the things you need to know. To us that have done it before, now we can go, you could do it in your sleep, right? And run through all the, where everything's at. And, and then the verbalization, right? It's a test. You have to know the information, but you also have to convey it in a way that the tester understands that you know it. 
Um, so I tell him, I said, you have to go through the process, but you really kind of have to, it's like a play. You have to memorize the script for the play and you have to know what you're doing, but you have to say it the way that they want you to say it. And so we would do it that way. And then we also started scheduling little things. Um, this was one of my trainers idea, which I loved was we have a number of down buses, right? And we can't get to every bus that's down every day. And so if someone was training in the morning and they were getting on the 15 to 20 hours there, we would tell them in the afternoon, okay, instead of going out on route someone, you're going to go out and pre-trip bus five and you're going to do it by yourself. You're not going to drive the bus, but you're going to go out there and you're going to pre-trip the bus. And I want you to come back and tell me why that bus is down. It failed a pre-trip inspection and it can't go on road. But if you, depending on how well, you know, pre-trip, you're going to find what's wrong with it. If you come back in and you don't, can't find what's wrong with it, why it failed it's pre-trip inspection, why it's sitting there in the yard. We need to keep working on your pre-trip for you. Yeah. And it was almost like a built-in quiz and we were using something down buses suck. They hurt you every day, right? You wish they were on the road, but it gave them something to do. It challenged them because you took the training wheels off a little bit. They didn't have someone standing over their shoulder to fill in the blank when they didn't know. And for a lot of people, they said, well, it identified, I don't know this as well as I think I should. I need to, to really push and study on this piece, but that's how we did it. And then, you know, our biggest holdup in the training process, once we mastered that was we couldn't find third-party testers to test fast enough for us. You know, we can only get a couple third-party tests in a week, but we might have seven people that are at that point are ready to go test. Interesting. That's actually a brilliant way of, of getting them to, to learn it is go out to trial and error and have to figure it out. And you know, on the pre-trip side of it. I mean, I know that's me personally, how I operate. You know, when I first got in oil and gas field with pipelines, compressors and stuff, you had all these different, you know, checklists of gauges and oil pressure, discharge pressure, whatnot. You had to go through and fill it out, log it. And for like over a week, one of the guys I was training with would just go, oh, oil pressure is this. And he'd point at the gauge, right? But I didn't. There were so many different things, like a huge sheet of stuff that you had to log every day. Finally, one day I told him, I said, dude, leave me alone. Just give me the sheet. Go away. Let me figure this out. And it took me a long time. But from that point on, I knew exactly where everything was at because I had to trace the lines, for example, you know, to the oil pressure. Oh, well, this is oil. This isn't water. You know, I had to actually trace the, the lines and figure everything out on my own. <clears throat> it's a brilliant way of doing it. You know, it, it gives them the chance to, like you said, come in and go, okay, I'm not ready. Or if you have someone helping them through the process, they feel like they are ready. So I, I think that's a that's a great approach to that. I mean, it's it's got to accelerate the process even more as well because the people that on the fence have taken the time to figure it out, and now they know, and now they know they know they're comfortable doing it. Or again, the people that were confident they knew it found out they didn't, and they needed more training. So kudos to you on that for sure. I mean, you definitely got this. Uh, I'm not blowing smoke crazy. You know me better than that, but I think you've got this pretty well dialed in. I mean, this, this, hopefully other districts are listening to this. And if they're not incorporating some of this into their process, they really need to give you a call or listen to this and figure it out. Cause I'm actually impressed. What do you think is the, you know, kind of going, obviously you said kind of in the pre-meeting that you, you just got another five from your, um, hiring event today, but like, what do you think is all of a sudden the push for specifically why you're seeing so many applicants come in? Is it just through advertising or is it just 
like word of mouth that people are like, hey, you know, we're getting our stuff turned around and so we want to come work here type of thing. Like, you know, you're almost to the point where you're, I think you're fully staffed and now you're, you're interviewing people because you're keeping that application process open, but, you know, you're essentially hiring for one position, right? You're getting 14 applicants and doing 14 interviews and, and picking one, right? What's all of a sudden the, the drive that people want to, that are interested in bus driving, but maybe not necessarily like, you know, other, again, other districts aren't seeing, you know, they might get an application a week. So what is that? Why is it different? You know, and and what is, what do you or what can you attribute it to of you know why you guys are all of a sudden getting this turnaround? I think it's a little of everything. I think an interesting study we did was we looked at Frontline, and one of the apps on our application process, you can see submitted applications, but one thing you can see is people who started an application didn't finish, um, and that's on anybody that uses Frontline, which I know in Arizona is a pretty common one you can see the non-submitted applications. And so something, when we first looked at it, I said, we have four submitted applications, but I have 45 unsubmitted applications. Why did these people not finish the application? And what do we do with the people? There was some level of interest for them to sit, apply, right? And they got to start through the rigorous process. And so one of the things that we've done is we don't rely on that application to be our only. So if someone starts that process, my assistant reaches out to them the next day and says, Hey, I saw you applied. Are you interested in a bus driver position? Oh right? my God. You're one of those. Boom. That happens to me all the time. Like, yeah, well, I didn't <laughs> yeah. order the socks because I decided <laughs> I didn't like that color. You didn't have my size and stop emailing me. Stop. Like, we saw that you didn't finish yours, but let us help you complete it. Well, I don't need hair growth formula. I was just looking. <laughs> I am one of those. But what it's done, if they're not interested, Chad, we actually just delete them and I put on the notes, not interested. But I, probably more than not, people say, yeah, I got into the application process and you asked me what year I graduated high school and what the street was of my high school, right? And I got into there and I'm like, this is going to take me three hours. Screw it, I'm done. And so what we do is we just tell them to come down. I interview them or HR interviews them and they completed the application process for them. Right. So HR collected the information they needed, but I thought it was the biggest barrier to entry, in my opinion, for a bus driver. And I'd be curious if other if other districts and look through that and just look how many do you have in the queue that says started. I can see it. They want your last ten years of your job history. They want, you know, your your education. They want um, you know, in some cases, uh to submit a like a paragraph on, you know, why you want this position or working with kids or, yeah. you know, what, whatever. Right. And, and so, yes, I, I fully agree. It's, it's, it needs to be as simplified as being able to walk into a McDonald's and, you know, go work the French fry machine. Right. I mean, as far as the application and interview process goes. Well, and, and how many people, you know, how many people will go through that process and say, hey, I want to do it, but I, this is just doesn't worth the time, right? And if you can bridge the gap for them, they want to do it. And and then working with HR, Frontline, the, the application process is standardized for all educational positions, right? And so while a lot of those things are in there, well, if you're a principal, your education is part of your pay, right? So HR needs to know what your education is because that determines your salary scale education doesn't affect a bus in our case doesn't affect our bus driver entry level pay but the program we use doesn't give us the ability to say hey for a bus driver all we need is basic information for tax documents or you know 
And so cutting that piece out for those who don't can't do it was huge. Um, and then I think I'm a big believer in perception. And so the perception that you give off to your community or potential hirees is huge. If you have a driver position, in, in my opinion, that's always open. And when they come to meet with you and they say, Jason sits down to interview and he says, how many bus driver positions do you say you have open? If I say, well, Jason, I have 37 bus driver positions open right now. I would bet get guess the first thing he thinks is what, well, there has to be something wrong with this place because no one wants to work here. Right. But if you sit down with me and I have 37, he says, how many do you have open? Well, I'm hiring for two positions. My opinion is he now thinks, or my opinion, what I would think is how many people are applying for these two positions? What are my chances of being one of the two people who are selected? Uh, they're going to learn that there's more openings, right? And so I always, the other way I looked at it is I said, okay, when a director job in the Valley comes open, do they only get one application over the course of three weeks for a director job or a supervisor job, right? Or a principal job? No, they probably have a high number of applicants to the point they're not even going to interview a good number of the people that apply for a job. Well, now there's a desire to fit something, right? If you, if something's free, it's not very valuable anymore. But if you put a price on something and a limit, limited quantity, right? You go to the ballpark and the first thousand people get a bobblehead. Well, there's people lined up at the ballpark for a 50 cent bobblehead because only a thousand people get it, right? But if you gave everyone in the ballpark a bobblehead, I'll bet you you won't line up early to go get it because you know whenever you show up, you're going to get it. And so the perception you give out to the district or to your potential employees is how do you balance, hey, we have a high need, but I don't want to give off that we have an issue, right? We do have an issue, but they got to know or think that they're coming to work to someone that has a plan and a vision of why we can, right? Now when I'm hiring, it's totally different. I have to, you know, I tell eight people I'm going to hire one position. I'll let you know on Friday. Wait, right? are you giving out bobbleheads? <laughs> yeah, I've got some RWC bobbleheads. <laughs> I got those. I was looking for something different. Forget it. No, and I think that's valid. I mean, so and which I really like about your signage is that they're magnetic, right? So now that you're not hiring, you can take them off. You know, yep, when you need right to now. push ten or you know push back out there, you go right back out or put the application process back up. So. Um, you know, I, I agree. I agree that perception means a lot. And I agree that there's not a lot that's put into, um, the bus driving position from a lot of districts, right? It's, it's a, it's a needed job, but kind of like, uh, you know, custodial work, if you will, it's not, it's not, um, elegant and what everybody wants to do. And so, you know, I think the, the more that a district can polish, and say like I think one of the districts out in the West Valley they used they they had gone from bus driving and changed their their job title to student transporter right I mean they were trying to to put a a little bit more weight behind the the name or the position so that way it's like I'm not just a bus driver so um, mm -hmm. I think the the more perception and the more that the community sees that and in probably you know they're they're probably starting to feel some of the fruits of the labor that's gone into it right because you guys have been short and buses have been delayed and um you know now you're having drivers and i'm sure your office staff and mechanics that you know or everybody who's been chipping in doesn't have to you know they're actually getting able to get their 
work done right on a on a daily basis or or feel like they're getting done you know obviously absenteeism is probably the next piece of the puzzle that you got to work on but um you know i mean just you're getting there so i think that's that's pretty cool that you've been able to that your hr department's been able to accept to want to be a part of the solution and not just be like hey well we hired this fancy new director in and he's got to figure it out well i think you know, we talked about word of mouth, right? So that's another way you track people. I always thought about it. Who knows the most bus drivers? Probably bus drivers, right? Most bus drivers in the Valley that are tenured, probably five years or longer have probably worked at more than one district. And they probably have relationships floating out from past employees, right? Like, so I know Jason, you've been at multiple districts. I've been at multiple districts in an amount of time, right? Just between the two of us, the number of bus drivers we could rattle off right now Sure. Right. It's a lot. And so we put together a referral bonus for our current employees. So if, you know, different levels of referrals, if they referred someone to be a bus driver and we didn't limit it to just, Hey, you're going to get paid. If you send over a fully credentialed driver, we give our bus drivers right now, they, if they refer a employee that has no CDL and they're referring a quality employee, they get a $500 bonus when that employee starts and obtains their credentials with us. And so we get referrals from people who don't have a bus, but hey, maybe they have a friend who's in a similar living situation or state of life situation with post-retirement. They're talking to those people every day. Hey, this gig would really work really well for you, right? This works with my schedule. Here's the time you get off. All those, you know, the, the perks of being a bus driver, there's a lot of them. I just don't think people know them. And so we hired there and, and to the point where, you know, I get more, and it's funny you talk about morale and perception, you know, this week we closed our, our driver on Tuesday. We no longer posted. It's not open. So if you're looking for a job with us, you won't see an opening for bus driver. I've still got a couple, right? We're talking about filling sub roles, but we closed it because I wanted to set the perception that someone's going to look for a job with us and it's not going to be there. And when they come back in two months and look for it and it is posted, I'm hoping that creates a sense of urgency. Like, Hey, I need to make this jump now because this isn't going to be a ro- I don't have the option to do this whenever I feel like it in the next year. Like yeah. if I want to go there and I want to be a part of what they're doing, I need to get on this and get it done. And so we closed on Tuesday and I was talking to our HR director this morning at the job fair. And I said, it's amazing. I received five emails this week with people that just CC'd or attached a, um, their resume and said, Hey, I'm interested in being a bus driver at your district here's my resume. I saw you don't have any job openings. Can you please contact me when a job comes open? All five are from East, you know, my neighboring districts drivers that are interested in being part of what we do. And, and a couple of my talked to this morning and they said, Hey, we just got word from so-and-so a friend that works for you that what you're doing right now, your environment is awesome. Right. And probably the biggest product of our environment, my drivers are super happy right now. My office staff is super happy because we're near fully staffed, right? We're getting to function the way that it was designed to function. And office staff is helping and supporting drivers where they need to support. Drivers are not being asked to run double and triple routes and do double athletic trips and drops. And so all of a sudden, I didn't have a lot of referrals from outside drivers when we were down 35. Now we're totally full and people want to go work where what they're asked to do on a day-to-day basis is consistent. I my opinion, you know, we talked about a lot, Jason, in the past, bus drivers are creatures of habit. They love their routines. 
you know, they do the job because it has a routine every day to follow. And so being able to be, to put that in place where there's a, you know, absenteeism is one thing, but even right now with drivers and office staff, you can still overcome that process a little bit because you're staffed. Absences kill you when you're understaffed. Yeah. No, I, I, again, culture, culture is everything, or is, I shouldn't say everything, but it's a big piece of that, right? Everybody being happy. I think I, I fully believe that salary or wage is another big piece of the puzzle. And I've heard, I've had, you know, district officials tell me it's not when I literally will watch people walk out the door for 50 cents more an hour at the neighboring district. So, you know, they can't, they can't sit there and tell me that it's not a a big piece of it because, you know, again, they make less than 20 grand a year. They're not making a whole lot of money. So, um, you know, I think those are the two pieces and I think it's great that, you know, that word of mouth is out there. People are happy. People are, you know, interested in, in coming to, you know, figure out how to get on board with your district and, um, it, it is valid, right? It's, I don't have this position available all the time. And I think we had, I, you and I saw that quite a bit when we would do some of our hiring events, um, at our previous district where, you know, people would come and like, Oh yeah, I want to come, but I'm, I'm thinking about retiring in a year or, you know, I'm not quite ready to, to, you know, jump in. And so they just assume that that driver position is always going to be available. So it's, I'll come do this when it's convenient for me instead of, you know, like a position that, you know, might be a mechanic or an administrator or something like that. It's like when this comes open, this may not be open for another, you know, potentially another decade. So if you want it, you need to go, you know, kind of grab the bull by the horns and and decide if you want to make a life change and, and move over and do this. So. Um, I think that's it's very, 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 very valid and clearly something that's working and, and hopefully more districts not in your case, right? I mean, you know, we're kind of giving away some of the keys of the kingdom, but um, also just, you know, I think this is something that's been needed for quite some time of we can't just continue to do the same thing over and over and over again and, and just sit there and go, well, we're doing the best we can. And I think that's typical in education, just kind of throw our heads, our hands up in the air and say, we did the best we can and we gave it a good shot. And this is this was the result. And you guys have gone and figured out how to how to kind of break that mold and, and do something a little bit different. So kudos to you guys. I think we as an industry, right, and I say we, because I, I love this industry because it's so – collective and how we work together, right? Directors work together from outside districts to problem solve and, and it, you know, it's a community of people working towards the same goal. And one of the things I've always said is if we all just chase the same pool of credential drivers, all we're ever doing is robbing each other yep. of it. Right. So we're just, I'm exchanging my problem and you're to you. Right. And then you're going to exchange your problem to chat and then it's going to come back to me. And so I think we have to, you know, everybody's got to find their home and be competitive, but one of the things I love that we've been able to do is we've trained 41 bus drivers since October 1st that had no, had never been in bus driving before. Right. So I look at it as we were able to add 41 people to the Valley bus driver pool that didn't exist four months ago. And some of these hiring practice, I think help identify people who maybe want to be a bus driver, but old ways of thinking limited their ability availability. Ultimately, if you know, me and the six other East Valley each did 40 a year 
we're building the bus driver pool where we no longer have to rob each other of bus drivers. Maybe people move, you know, because they move or the commute, right? And that's just the natural cycle of employment. But we really need to find a way as an industry to, we need more bus drivers, right? I know Stephanie says all the time, there is a shortage of CDL bus drivers in across America right now. And so, yes, we need to retain, you know, we want to recruit other bus drivers from other districts because it fixes your problem quickly. But ultimately, what do we need to do as an industry to create more bus drivers? Um, because if there was 200 more bus drivers in the East Valley, I'll guarantee you all of my neighboring districts would not have a bus driver shortage right now. Sure. You know, and, and, and then we're working together to help each other. And so that's what I like about it is I think some of these strategies can be applied elsewhere, but let's keep in, you know, moving up the bus driver short pool, right? I had eight people yet last year last week that I said, Hey, sorry, we picked our driver, you know, eight of them, none of them had credentials. And so none of them go through the training process, but how do, how does someone else capture those eight people? Right. Sure. Because they want to drive a bus. And so if someone else can capture them through some marketing strategies or HR or transportation strategies, they want to drive a bus. Let's make sure as a group, we get them behind the wheel of a bus and, and build our driver pool for our industry. Yeah. No teamwork, te as Shannon says, teamwork makes the dream work, right? So, um, I agree. We shouldn't be competing with um, each other for our our employees. I think adding to the pool and trying to get more people that don't do this work into the industry is is definitely a key. So, uh, I think we'll. I, I want to know what's yeah. what's the what's the like referral fee for like say like a bus salesman if he sends you some bus drivers <laughs> is there a referral fee there he's like what's that total can you share that with it's me a, later Email it's a discount on his bus purchase yeah <laughs> a discount wait so i get docked for sending referrals well you want money from them so i don't know it'd be funny to see how that works you're, again, you're, again, you're the one that's selling back. buses with bus drivers so i've been saying for years that model will work yeah well, selling bus drivers with buses. <laughs> eight, I eight think years, right now, eight years. people would pay for it right now. Yeah. yeah. If I could get a bus driver locked in with the bus for like, say, eight years. There you that, go. Is, that, is, that Jackson, is, five? is Jackson five driving years? yet? He can He can be your first sale. I'm sending him down to Queen Creek to go through some training. There you go. Next week. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up here. Just... Um, Cruz, thanks for sharing the information. I think that you know it's it's definitely needed. A the procedural changes of hiring and trying to figure out how to get people in the door and do it quickly, so that way it captures the market. Um, any kind of last thoughts on just what we've touched on today? I just, I mean, my final would be if you know, I don't think we've mastered it by any means, right? And and open to. I'm sure there's other people out there and I would love to steal other ideas that people have seen success with. And so the same goes if people are interested and I'm an, I'm always open to to trying to share and elaborate more. If I can help someone else, I'm happy to. And if there's something for you to share to me, I'm I'm all game to or all years to hear that information as well. For sure. Chad? Well, Cruz basically just stole what I was going to say. Liar. It, sounds, it sounds like you, word for word. You must have seen my outline. Yeah. So – what I was going to say is that it sounds like Cruz and Queen Creek have a very good model. Is it perfect? Probably not. It could be. I don't know. I, I'm not in that position, but it's definitely something other districts could build on or even 
copy, if you will, if you want to use that word, lack of better words. But, you know, it's, it's definitely a, a great model to look for, to use. It sounds like would be perfect for other districts. I mean, again, like Cruz said, it's, it's, it's not perfect, but, the, you know, other ideas. Man, if, if we get all the districts working towards something like this, a model like this, then it's only going to improve. And then when you go to the conferences or, or, you know, you different districts meet or whatever, you share ideas and prove it even better. I mean, legitimately could help not completely fix the issue of a bus driver shortage, but it definitely helped these districts that are so far behind that they're everyone else in the office and everyone else in the shop right driving. So it's, it's a uh, kudos to you, Cruz. You guys, uh, some great ideas. Which I know when I talked to him, I found out you got that. I was talking to someone else, and I said, I think Cruz will be really good in that. I think he's going to bring some new ideas, and he has a pretty good feeling for it. And Thank you for not making me look like a fool for saying <laughs> that. I appreciate that. Uh, well, thanks to you, both of you for being here this afternoon. I uh, appreciate you guys taking the time out. Thanks, to everybody, for checking out the episode again. Uh, hopefully, we'll try and be a little bit more um, regular with getting some more episodes out there for everybody to listen to and try and keep up with this. So, uh, again, thank you. Hopefully, everybody found this of value, especially the administrators and the human resource personnel that might be listening to this to see if they can, um, you know, turn some things around. So, yeah, let's get some more people interested in this job and uh, this line of work and, and add add more people stop stealing from each other and add more people into the pool i think is definitely the probably the key takeaway here so thanks again thanks for everybody joining let's, us let's, hey i got an idea let's yep. let's try to crank out podcast episodes faster than marvel cranks out movies for heaven's sake <laughs> i mean they've had like three movies out since the last time we did a podcast well, like, give me give me like, hey, see if the next episode come july 2023 Give me Courtney's phone number and I'll I'll check your scheduling and see how quickly we can put those out, okay? So Okay, I'll send that over to you. Alright everybody. Thanks for listening and uh we'll see you next time. Adios. You've been listening to Hey Bus Driver. Thanks for being part of our community. If you're a student transportation professional, you are part of our family. The show is coming to a close, but you can reach out online. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hey Bus Driver Podcast. And check out the website at www.heybusdriver.com. Till next time, this is Hey Bus Driver, signing off.